Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson. I've got Kurt Mortensen here with me. It's episode 43. It's getting hot, probably getting hot where you are too. It's a wonderful time of year. I much prefer the heat to the cold. That's why I don't live in Siberia. I think that's why you don't either, Kurt. <laughs> I do enjoy the heat and the warmth. I spent three days in L.A. last time, and it was definitely beach weather. Warm, nice, sunny, no clouds. So weather is changing. Summer is here, and... It's time to do something about it. It is time to do something about it, but I understand that you're just bogged down in the office all day. Yeah, I was just looking outside, nice day, uh, getting a lot done, but there's still that urge, that pull, that instinct to go get some sun or go get in the water, right? That's true. You, you would, uh, if you weren't a person, you'd probably be a salmon. You just got to always swim out in that direction to the ocean. Salmon? Yeah. Salmon? Yeah, oh, I know. It's, it's lame, but shark. I didn't decide it. Well, I don't know. I'll have to think about that one if I agree or not. I'll have to ponder that. <laughs> Salmon. I saw that movie Couples Retreat where they go to Tahiti and the guy is all about marriage counseling and finds your inner animal spirit and he gives them this elaborate wood carving of the animal that most likely represents their personality. And yeah, you would get a salmon and that would be lame. It would be kind of a letdown. You flew all the way to Tahiti to be told that. At least give me a, like a duck-billed platypus or something a little more unique than a salmon. One of the guys in the movie was an ass. They, he... <laughs> well, I'll take salmon over ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good call. Unless it's an ass of a salmon, but that's a whole other story. You're getting out of control. <laughs> <laughs> we're even allowed to talk about that. But anyway. <laughs> in, in the never-ending quest, now we're just getting foul. I, that's about as foul as we get. But we have a great show for you today, despite how we may have let off and and despite what you may think. So if you've hung with us this far... Good for you. You've got ice in your veins, so to speak. So we're going to be talking about a powerful presence today and how to create one as we get into charisma. We've talked about that to a degree before, and, and we've had listener mail wanting more about it because, let's face it, when you enter the room, you have a powerful presence. You're in charge. You can really screw up a lot of other things. Not that we're telling you to do that, but man, when you have a powerful presence and that kind of credibility and charisma that comes with it, you get a lot more latitude, don't you? It forgives a lot of weaknesses, and people notice you. I mean, you're not very persuasive or influential. People don't know who you are, and they don't see you enter the room. They don't want to talk to you, and you don't have that presence. First of all, they don't notice you, and second of all, they, when you have that powerful presence, they tend to be a lot more forgiving on any weaknesses you have. Well, right, right. I mean, you look at these very influential people out there that have high, high profiles. They're very powerful. Take like a Donald Trump. I think, although he was kind of made a little bit of a joke in the last election, depending on what side of that whole debate you are on. I mean, Trump, he just, uh, he gets away with that hair. I mean, didn't we talk about grooming a few episodes <laughs> ago? But it doesn't apply to Trump due to a powerful presence. Well, he has power, he has businesses, he has knowledge, and, you know, money is a form of power, so he's got that going for him. It is a form of power. I mean, what are other forms of power? I'm getting a little off, well, on topic early, not off topic <laughs> Money is one of them. I mean, what are some other external things that people just, if you have them or if you exhibit them, people are going to cut you some slack on? 
Well, we won't go to the maybe psychological or coercive forms of power because there's quite a few of them. It could be anything from authority power, your title, CEO, Esquire. I know one of my very first sales jobs, I was brand new, wet behind the ears, and I was a regional sales manager. <laughs> and we all were, but it was just for the title. So it could be title. It could be your uniform, like a police officer's uniform. It could be the suit you wear. It could be knowledge power. It could be respect power. Over time, you've built a power to where people know you, like you, and respect you. And that really helps out. Even the relationship with somebody is a form of power. This might seem like a really obvious question, but... How do we define that? How is power, having power different than having influence, or is it? I say power increases your ability to persuade and influence. You still need the tools. You still need the techniques. For example, a police officer's gun, right? That increases his ability to influence people, doesn't it? Because <laughs> he has the gun. Yeah, yeah. He has the uniform and everything else. There's something about it. When someone comes into the room and you know they have 10 more years experience or they're the CEO, that's a form of power increases their ability to influence you if they're the boss. If you know that they have knowledge that you need, maybe like a lawyer or a doctor, that gives them a form of power. Doctor's white coat, a doctor's degree. There's a lot of internal, external things that increase that power. Yeah. I was thinking while you were saying that, when I was in grade school, they, they first rolled out that D.A.R.E. program to keep kids off of drugs. And police officers would go to local elementary schools to attempt to influence them to not do drugs, tell them all the horrible things that are going to happen to them and all that stuff. And I just thought, you know, that's kind of funny because they're attempting early on to influence these kids uh, to not do drugs so they don't have to use power on them to influence them to do it later. It, they don't want to have to bring that to bear. I think the message being that if you have to use the power, that's not necessarily good. Wouldn't we just rather use the influence? Instead, we're talking definitions here. I love what David Hawking said. He, he talked about the difference between power and force because power gives life and energy. People want to do what you want them to do. They like you. They trust you. They know you. They know you have the authority, the knowledge, the ability to do what you're doing. Force takes those away because when you force someone to do something, you back them into a corner, you get short-term compliance, but then you lose that long-term influence. So we kind of have to define the difference between good, positive forms of power that you like to be around these people. You like to be influenced by them. You know that what they're asking you to do is the right thing. You don't mind being influenced versus force. Do it, you're fired. Has a different effect, right? That's where they catch employees doing despicable things to their boss's coffee because they've been forced into a corner. They don't like it. They have to do it. Teenagers, adults, it doesn't matter who you are. You back someone in a corner. You force them to do something they don't want to do. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about true positive power that makes a difference. Now, have police officers abused that in some situations? Yeah. Some still have the positive power, but some still use the force. Or we've heard of stories, we've seen the videos to where they've crossed that line. Right, right. Use the force. <laughs> yeah, or you can just watch Star Wars and use that force. That's just as good. Is there ever an instance where using force isn't going to have ramifications on, on your long-term ability to influence? Or do people just automatically always resent that and you're going to pay for it eventually somehow, some way, like the coffee? It's, it's the old bank account thing, right? If you're 10 positive powers to one negative, that's okay. But if it's all negative, all negative, all negative, for children, for example, hopefully most of it's positive. But when my daughter's sticking a fork into the electrical outlet and I can't get her to stop, that goes to force. That goes to negative real fast because that was the only thing that worked. But hopefully I've buffered that with 10, 20, 30 other positive things where that one negative thing didn't hurt that. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I had an experience 
and you and I should talk about this another time because uh, some of the some people that you know were in attendance. I forgot to tell you about this. <laughs> but Interesting. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I had to go down to a training in Southern California. I've mentioned many times on the show before that I go travel for three days at a time and, and do consulting for people who want to do real estate investing. And the company that I do this for on a freelance basis had this mandatory training that we had to go to. So we were there, and the guy teaching the training, he was great. Everybody was very positive, getting some good information out of it. And then the director of operations for the company comes over, and he decides that he needs to get up in front of everybody and flex his muscles, metaphorically speaking, of course. And uh, we didn't even, at least I didn't know who he was right out of the shoot. When he started talking and said his name, I was like, oh, yeah, that's the operations guy. But he proceeded to talk about how he's getting many, many resumes every single month, and that if we don't listen to what uh, the trainer was talking about, then uh, he's just going to have to fire some people. And probably half of the people in this room won't be in this training next year because they're going to get fired. And <laughs> you, you have to understand that the kind of work that we're doing, myself and the other people in that room, we're doing it a lot of times for the networking. The money is good. I won't, I won't lie. We, we like the money, but we don't have to do it right? It, it's good networking and getting paid to do it. Uh, check. Most of the time when you're networking, you're banking that, hey, I'm going to get paid at some point in the future, right? But hey, if you could be guaranteed, you're going to get paid. <laughs> Two weeks later, everybody would love it. Well, the funny thing was, is as we talked amongst ourselves after the fact, almost everybody said, well, geez, I'd almost like him to fire me. You got you to be kidding me. We got to work for this guy? Because without building any kind of rapport or doing anything like that, immediately went to that, I'm in charge, and if you don't do what I want, you're going to get fired. Not a very good way to lead. Probably should have kept that one uh, in the holster for a future blunder. But, <laughs> well, that's, yeah. I mean, look what he did to the audience, especially for those who aren't going to get stuck in fear, like, okay, fire me, go ahead, hurt me, hurt me, right? But they come out with that negativity so fast, and it has the opposite effect so many times. And when it's true power, when they've built true power, it creates trust. And it enables people. But the thing that what force does, it always has to be enforced. He always has to threaten you. And force sucks the life and energy out of people. I'm sure it just sucked the life out of that room where you were having a good positive training. And all of a sudden, this negativity has the opposite effect. Because power, good power, causes us to listen and obey. Force causes us to be skeptical and run. And so you saw probably both forms of power in that presentation. Yeah, it didn't help that he was dressed like a hobo too, right? I mean, it's a kind of this shock factor. You wonder, hey, who let the homeless guy into the front of the room and gave him the mic? <laughs> and then why is the homeless guy threatening to fire us? But it was funny, later that day we had to go over to the office and I found myself where I was with this guy and maybe two other people and we were all kind of introducing ourselves. And I introduced myself and he proceeded to give the same the same deal. The same, well, yeah, we're going to have to let some people go. And I, I couldn't resist anymore, Kurt. <laughs> I said to him, I said, wait, I'm confused. Am I fired? I mean, you're talking about this. I'm, I'm just wondering. It. No, 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 you're not. And it, it's just funny when people use the hollow threats to kind of call their bluff and, and watch them backpedal. I enjoy doing that. <laughs> well, there could be some fun to that. See, the challenge here, that's probably the only tool he has, right? He's never learned any other tools. It works every once in a while. And it he keeps using it, and he's just a one-tool wonder, or we just call him a tool. And yeah, right. <laughs> he just doesn't know what else to do and how to really motivate and inspire people versus using the fear and the threats. I saw a very hilarious example of that once. I was, I was working for an investment company, 
And the the CEO of the investment company was notorious for this tactic too, you know, the, the threats and the things like that. Actually, it was it was always really really nice bribery or just pure borderline death threats, right? He had nowhere in between. <laughs> so he had, you know, two tools in his toolbox. Like, you know, a little bit of glue and a chainsaw. Nothing in between. There was this sales meeting where he wasn't happy with uh, the results that he was getting out of the team. And he told everybody, he said, I ought to just fire you all now. I can go hire five guys from a private equity company in New York tomorrow. And it was funny because we had this new guy that was very, very new to the business. And just a very genuine guy who innocently would always say exactly what he was thinking. And sometimes it was totally appropriate for the situation. And sometimes it was very inappropriate as you could imagine. And so that you've got the CEO saying, I can go get five private equity guys out of New York. And this guy, you couldn't have bought a moment better than this. He goes, well, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> and he honestly meant it. He's thinking if this guy really has the option of going out and hiring five all-stars in his sleep, then why would he not possibly do it? He didn't understand the showboating that was happening at the time. It was uh, it was pretty good, and we all laughed and got in trouble for laughing, but <laughs> it was a good moment. Good stories of the misuse of power, and um, it's... You can look at any politician, you can find misuse of power and how they use power. It, it's out there. People love the power, and they use it for the right reasons, they use it for the wrong reasons. Well, we've talked about the psychopaths and how they misuse power. What about the few reasonable people? that we have listening to the podcast that are thinking, geez, I wish these guys would give me something concrete that I can use for power. I'm a financial planner. I'm an insurance guy. I sell cars. I own my own business. How do we manufacture or create this power that can supercharge our ability to influence and not come across as a total tool like you were talking about? Well, a big one is authority power, right? If you're the boss or if you're working with other coworkers, it doesn't mean you have to be egotistical or condescending. It's just they have the expectations that you have the knowledge, you have the experience to take care of that. And that's important here because we have authority power, which could be, oh, your position, it could be a title, but you also have expert power, which is your knowledge and your wisdom. And that's something anybody can work on at any time. And here's the key factor with power. Whether it's your coworker or you're going into negotiation, you always have more power than you realize. And don't discount yourself thinking they have all the power. You have things that they want. You have knowledge that they need. You have some authority power. You might have the ability to build trust and connect and create that form of power. There are a lot of different forms of power that you have that you can use. But I've seen it so many times monitoring negotiations that people quickly discount themselves thinking they have no power, they have no say, but you can do that. So when you really take a look at all the different types of power, and the good ones to take a look at today is your knowledge power, your expertise power, your authority power. I mean, we can spend time talking about the dark psychological power, but there's simple things that you can do because power increases your ability to influence. You're not force. People want to do it. They're not forced to do it. They want to do it. So whether it be your authority or even adjusting your title a little bit, Maybe you want to be vice president. Maybe you want to be CEO. Maybe you want to be Esquire manager. Remember I mentioned I was regional sales manager. Sometimes just be adding a few things to your business card or mentioning it to people is enough to give you a little edge of that power. It's a good thing. It can really help you out and always make sure you're not doing things that pull away from your power because you're spending all this time to get power. Don't diminish your power. 
Good point. So I'm I'm making lots of notes while you're talking because it, I'm having ideas. But it's it's funny you look in the industry of search engine optimization, and and I'm totally oversimplifying, or maybe I'm not. But you have a business. Let's say you want to be featured on Google on that first page. People search for I don't know the Sham Wow <laughs> or whatever your product is. Oh, that guy got arrested. He, that's kind of funny. But you want to be high up in the rankings because you're perceived to be more credible if you're high up in the search engine rankings. If people have to search back five, six pages, or why is this guy clear back there? And Google and Yahoo, Bing, and, and the different search engines, they all have these different methods that they decide as to who they are going to rank towards the top of the search engines. And one of the main methods, correct me if I'm wrong, Kurt, because you get more about this than I do, are people who are always out there saying something about the topic. They're experts. They're bloggers who every day they have something to say, and Google interprets that as, oh, this guy must be an expert because he's always talking about it and he's always posting new and relevant information on that. And we look at the emotionless algorithm that Google creates, but it's funny because that's the same thing that our mind is doing, right? If this guy's out there, if he's been interviewed, if he's always writing about it, if he's talking about it all the time, he must be an expert. So how do our prospects do that? How do they create that same effect? That's kind of a tangent alert. I think you need to find the sound effect uh, for the siren. Remember, we were talking about that. <laughs> All right, Steve, we'll use this for our tangent alarm. All right, hope you like the sound effect, because that's another tangent to warn us of a tangent. So let's get back to the Internet and experts. There's some great points there. People want the experts, and the Internet just kind of looks at opinion and see if it's right. That's why when someone introduces me, I want to let them know about all the companies I've trained for, Harley-Davidson and Pepsi and Chevy and the Department of the Interior, right, Harvard, U.S. Cellular. Then they want to know, oh, have you? I've been on CNN and Fortune and Investors Business Daily and USA Today. That's borrowing power from other people that do have power. That's kind of what you're mentioning. The search engines just do it. If you have an opinion, right or wrong, it's going to rank you a little bit better, but right. it also ranks you compared to when you introduce yourself, people are looking for that. Okay, what have they done? What's happening in that form of power? So that really increases your power versus what really destroys your power is when you're just too serious about yourself or your surroundings about what's going on can destroy your power. Like the bozo you talked about, appearance. At first, you thought it was a homeless person. That can really destroy your power, especially the expectations. If I'm going to a doctor's office, I'm expecting a white coat. If I'm going to a law office, I'm expecting dark wood. If I'm going fill in the blank, there's something about that. If I'm investing, that dresses differently than an accountant, maybe dresses differently than a lawyer, which is different than a doctor, right? So there's certain expectations. And a big one we've talked about time and time again is poor presentation skills. Man, you look sharp. You come across the stage, great credentials, but you're full of vocal fillers. You don't look good. You're reading the PowerPoint. You're fumbling. You're drooling all over yourself. Okay, that's nice. going to hurt your power. Yeah. And another big part of that, too, is the way you treat people. When you come across as arrogant and you're not showing respect to others or other companies and you're the man, you're the woman, you're there to serve yourself instead of serve others, man, that will suck that positive power away from you. And people don't want to be around that. They don't want to see that. So there's things you can do to enhance your power. And that's the big message is you have more power than you realize in every situation that you go into. And be careful of things that suck the power away from you. Because you could go into a situation, let's say, with 80 PowerPoints, let's just make that up, 
But if your appearance and your presentation and the way you act and you're so serious, now within a matter of minutes, you could be down to 40 PowerPoints. <laughs> PowerPoints. <laughs> I like yeah. the sound of that. We need to create PowerPoints. That's right. That's right. You got to earn them. <laughs> so I'll throw a curveball here. Let me see what you think about this. I buy real estate at a discount. I do marketing campaigns to people who I know have equity in their homes and might be likely to sell at a discount because I like to get in there and rehab the house and sell it. So part of the tactic that I've been taught over the years to use is to make it look like I don't have any power and to make it look like, hey, I'm just punching numbers in a computer and here's the offer and you know, there's not really anything I can do about this. And I will admit at times I found it to be quite effective when people think that you don't have any power. They're not going to try to question it and get you to change things because they perceive that you can't. Is that a valid tactic? You ever heard of anything like that? Oh, you bet. We teach that negotiation. It's called dumb is smart, actually, is how they call that. Because a lot of times, if you're the power, if you're the professional, there's a lot of resistance there. They don't want to be taken advantage of. They don't feel like they know that much. It's the old, for those who ever watched Columbo, the detective who always played dumb and didn't know and would always you know, catch the criminal at the end because they was smarter than they thought. Now, there's a couple things here. When you are the president, you have the power you can make the decision. And sometimes in a negotiation, you don't want all that power. You want a little time to think about it, do some research. And so a lot of times in real estate, you don't want to let them know you're the owner of the property, right? You're just taking care of it because that power, wait, I want new carpet. I want new drapes. Or in a negotiation, that's one thing. The other thing is when I mentioned that dumb is smart is it does reduce resistance because, oh, wow, well, they're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And I'm helping them along. And can you do me a favor? What would you do in this situation? So they're revealing a lot more information than they would if you came across as really slick and professional and knowledgeable. So it depends on the situation and what you're looking for to do. But if you want people to really open up and connect with you and be more like them, there are times where, again, dumb is smart to where you don't want to look too sophisticated or too sharp or come into the negotiation. So, yeah, I win all my negotiations because that will cause instant resistance. It will hurt your power and they won't want to be around you and they won't want to negotiate with you. And they won't want to be your friend. You'll have no yeah. friends. You'll be a loser forever. Yeah. You'll have to buy your friends. That's right. <laughs> so that's the point is if you're taking on that big shot attitude, the buck stops with me, that's not always a good thing. So you have to measure this display of power because sometimes, like you said, Kurt, it, it benefits you to, to look like, no, I can't make a decision right now. I don't have the ability to do that. You've got to have more time to sharpen your pencil or, or do whatever it is you've got to do in the negotiation. So that's very good advice. Thank you for that. Anything else on power before we roll on to our ninja and our article and our Homer? Well, anything we talk about, there's the positive and negative side. We didn't go into the coercive or psychological power, but there are things. We know that height increases your power. We know that your external surroundings increase your power, but a lot of people use them in the wrong way. Sometimes pity power. We know that Jerry Lewis, when he does the muscular dystrophy telethons, he parades those kids around and people get really upset. How could he do this? The pity power. But you know what? He raises millions of dollars. You'll have to decide where you sit on that fence. But is it, he uses a sort of negative thing for a good thing. That's one. There's boldness power where people are always in your face and very aggressive. There are people that, and we can spend time, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about these dark forms of power, but there's the time pressure power. There's all these things that give you power. And when you use the negative power, when you use that force, especially as a negative power, people feel manipulated. 
that they have to do it, that they don't have a choice, that's where you've crossed the line where you lose your ability to influence for the long term. Again, it might work for the short term. Do it or you're fired. Oh, all right. I'm looking for another job. You're not going to tell them that, but that's what you're thinking because you don't want to deal with that. And I think it just goes back to our teenage years and being kids, being told what to do. It just rubbed us the wrong way. And you got to be very, very careful. So try to find positive forms of power, number one. And number two, always realize every situation, you have more power than you realize because power increases, enhances your ability to persuade and influence. That's a good point. That's a good point. I, I remember when doing workshops about negotiation and we would have people split out into breakout groups so that they could do some kind of an exercise that we would give them. And I remember we would always tell people that one of the underlying assumptions of this negotiation, this hypothetical that you're about to enter into, is that you may have to do business with this person again at some point in the future. And I don't know if you remember, but that really dramatically changed the style of negotiation that people were going to use. Because you got to face them again later. And if you're just going to use the stick and bang them over the head, that's a totally different deal. I think that's why a lot of times you notice you're driving behind somebody on the road, they're cutting you off, they're giving you the bird. And, and when you're going past them, it's a sweet little old lady. Because <laughs> she never has to see you again. And we turn into completely different people if we think, oh, that's just some person that I'm never going to have to deal with ever again. Kind of the ugly side of us tends to come out. It does. And that was interesting with those trainings as people would say, yeah, I'm a good person. I'm enlightened. But you put them into a negotiation where they're trying to win. The gloves come on. Things start happening. They start inventing things. And we got to control that sometimes. It's interesting. Some people just go, oh, I'll just give you everything. I said, well, no, you'd be fired if you did that versus the other person would put the gloves on, be really aggressive, would win at any cost. And uh, it's really interesting how true personalities come out in some of those negotiations. Especially, yeah, especially when they don't think they have to see the person ever again. I, exactly. It's shocking how many people just turn into complete thugs <laughs> when they well, don't think they have to deal and, with And them. an important point there, too, is even if you don't think you're ever going to see them again, you will. And you'll probably be involved in business and negotiation again. You're going to cross paths again. So you got to assume yeah. no matter what, you're crossing paths again uh -huh. because you will. It's going to get real awkward if you just, yeah, yeah. you just think, I'm never going to see you again. And a couple of years later, that it's person's be... behind the desk of a company you really need to get in with. And uh-oh. <laughs> or it's your new son-in-law. <laughs> oh, yeah. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> Worst case scenario, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what, Kurt. It looks like we chewed up a good chunk of time here. I think we're going to leave our ninja and maybe even our article for next week, and we'll just do the homer today. What do you think about that? We're just kind of making this a two-way democracy right here on the air. I'm kind of hurtful, but you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I told you you well, were... Can, how can I live without the article? No, if time's an issue, we need to move on. We can do that because we've got some good articles we can talk about next time. Yeah, we'll let you geek out big time next week. Scratch the geek itch. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do it. Well, That'll let's go it. ahead and cue the homer. All right, go. Go, go, go. There he is. We couldn't do it without the dough, the triple dough. This is a story about horrible verbal packaging in the medical industry. Some of you may have noticed this uh, from time to time. I can always appreciate a doctor with really good bedside manner, right? Somebody who knows how to talk to the patient, make them feel like, hey, it's fine, even if it isn't, and uh, just feel confident as to what's going on, right? There are doctors like that out there, and and we've talked about on the show before that those doctors are very unlikely to get sued by their patients, even when they screw up massively. 
And then you've got the people on the other side of the coin, the ones who didn't pay attention in that part of medical school and have absolutely atrocious bedside manner. Uh, my wife was uh, getting surgery. This is a minor procedure. Everything's fine. But she was getting the IV place. They got to place the IV so that they can you know, knock you out cold and do what they got to do. Well, the nurse was having a tough time finding the vein with the IV. And I know many of you have been in that situation. It's annoying, right? You're getting stuck. You feel like you're a voodoo doll after they, they skewer you a couple of times. And that's no fun. Well, finally, she gets the needle set. And she starts fumbling around, getting all flustered, saying, oh, no, oh, no. And she says, it's going to blow. <laughs> <laughs> and That's so comforting. I can just feel the comfort in the room right now. I know. I was looking for the grenade. Who threw a grenade in the operating room, <laughs> right? Take cover. I think it's safe to deck. say that it's not good to inspire confidence in your patients when you're inserting a needle into them when you say, it's going to blow. Right. There's got to be a better way to say that. If we have any doctors or nurses listening to the show, I don't even know what that means. But I'm telling you, from a patient perspective, it's very troubling. So we'd love to know what that means and and how somebody should be saying it. <laughs> Please let us know it. Maximize your influence at Gmail dot com, because that was a pretty uh, nasty case of verbal packaging, kind of like the one last week where uh, your pilot and the mechanics found the manual to fix the plane that was going to have you cruising at 35,000 feet. Yeah, finding the manual. Or they can at least call it, what is it, vomits a protein spill. There's got to be something for a protein shot. or. Why am I more uh, bothered nicer. by a protein spill than a bunch of vomit? That just is nasty. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but there's, yeah, like I said, there's got to be a better way for them to address that. Yeah, there, there has to be. So we're for higher medical schools of America. We can come give you that pointer. Right. Uh, I know you're charging these doctors a, a pretty penny, so let's give them something at least. We'll make the patients feel a little bit better. So that's our blunder. Nurse, you are the blunder of the week. I don't remember your name and don't plan on seeing you again. Kind of like we were talking about earlier. <laughs> Anything else for today, Kurt? Look at your power. You do have power. And even in external things, there was an interesting study done in San Francisco where the light would turn from red to green. And they'd have a car just sitting there, and they'd want to see how fast people would honk, right? This is San Francisco, so they had to do it in milliseconds. <laughs> but when there was a clunker of a car in front of you, and it turned from red to green, and it didn't go, man, those people laid on the horn. But when it was a Rolls Royce, a luxury car, and it went from red to green, guess what happened? I bet it was a lot longer. How much? A lot longer. And that's what you need to take a look at. Your surroundings, the way you dress, your authority, your knowledge. You have forms of power, and it does increase your ability to persuade and influence. It does make you more charismatic, and it will make a big difference in your ability to get others to want to do what you want them to do. That's awesome info, everybody. Go ahead and send your thoughts and your suggestions to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. We're always looking forward to those, and subscribe to us on iTunes, and listen to us on Stitcher Radio. And we will close it up and talk to you next week. See you next week. 